It's time for Supply Chain Now Radio, broadcasting live from the supply chain capital of the country, Atlanta, Georgia. Supply Chain Now Radio spotlights the best in all things supply chain. The people, the technologies, the best practices, and the critical issues of the day. And now, here are your hosts. Hey, good afternoon. Scott Luton here with you live on Supply Chain Now. Welcome back to the show. On this episode, we're continuing our Veterans Voice podcast series where we focus on the veteran community, news, insights, challenges, stories, and resources, all powered by Vetlana and Supply Chain Now. And, you know, mostly we conduct this series because we're passionate about serving our fellow veterans and our community. It's part of our give back, and we hope you, our audience, enjoys it as much as we do. Um, all right, so today we are joined by a fearless co-host here, Kevin Horgan, Vetlana Operations Manager and repeat guest. Kevin, how you doing? Good. Great great to be here, Scott. Thank you. We are so glad that you're here back. We had a great conversation last time you were here in the studio uh, with John Teen, uh, with City, Citibank, right? And Lloyd uh, joined us as well. Had a great conversation. Got, got a great sense of your background from your time in the Marines and, and kind of your, your professional side since, including some of your other projects, <laughs> uh, which has been really fascinating to dive into. And we're glad to have you back here as a co-host, uh, a fearless co-host on this side of the table. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Thank you. It really is. And, and what, what really is special about this episode is we are bringing back uh, a friend of the show, a personal friend, a, a Vetlana friend, a fellow veteran, and uh, someone that we think highly of here and proud of what he has been doing to give back and what he's been doing to lead. And with no further ado, let's welcome in our special guest, Tyler Bowser, Director of External Partnerships at Veterans Empowerment Organization of Georgia, which you uh, also known as VEO. You'll hear us talk about VEO quite a bit here today. Tyler, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me, Scott. We're, oh, it's a pleasure. I'd have you in every day if it's up to me. That's good um, to be back. <laughs> you were, you know, it's so funny. Um, in, in entrepreneurial ventures, you, know, you always look at the early days and you're like, man, well, that was going on. That was going on. Oh, I didn't even know this yet. Well, you know, Tyler, you're part of the first handful of episodes uh, with Supply Chain Now, and it's fascinating to see what all has changed, and, and for that matter, just how many more folks that VEO is serving, which we're going to talk more about that mission uh, here in the couple of years since. Yeah, Scott, I'll, I'll just say, to, to just see your growth and what's mm. been going on here, as I think back uh, over the past two years, just VEO has been able to see... Uh, Almost a thousand additional veterans come through mm-hmm. uh, one of our many programs. So, uh, pretty awesome. It, it is. It's awesome. It's rewarding. It's um, it's a feel good story, right? Um, and what I'm most proud is as we uh, rename the series more Veterans Voice because we want to get what we're doing here and and the ideas and the stories. We want to um, really shout this from the mountaintop, coast to coast, because there's other cities, there's other veteran leaders and servant leaders that will be able to take these ideas and these experiences, some of these thoughts, and hopefully apply them in their home markets. And that's uh, that's really what we're all about here, helping more folks. So um, for starters, uh, Kevin and I really, you know, our audience really enjoys getting a sense of who we're interviewing for, uh, first, you know, where they're from, kind of getting a... Uh, a glimpse of who they are as a person. So for starters, you know, tell us about where you grew up and, and w- what trouble did you like to get into as a kid? Sure. I was uh, born into um, a Navy family. My father was a naval uh, uh, fighter pilot, flew A-7s off of the John F. Kennedy back in the day. Wow. And uh, after he got out back in 1977, he got a job with Saudia Airlines. 
and uh, fortunately that job didn't work out. So uh, he came back uh, to the United States and got a job with a little regional airline called PSA down in San Diego. Mm. And that's where I grew up. Wow. Lived there through 92. Um, as a young kid, to have an influence over uh, the Marine Corps base, Camp Pendleton was right up the road. My dad being uh, prior Navy, both of my grandfathers on both sides were in World War II. One was in the Army Air Corps on my mom's side, and then the, uh, the my second grandfather uh, was in the Army and uh, was actually downrange uh, in Normandy. Mm. So um, I, I knew I had um, a legacy to fulfill uh, by, by enlisting somewhere uh, in the military. And then in 1996, I had the opportunity. I was working for the United States Postal Service at one of their call centers and met a guy uh, that installed all the IT systems there and um, asked him, where did you get all this? Like, where did you get your technical background from? I, I'm sure you can't go to a school right now and go to the U- University of Florida and, uh, and, and you know, get a degree in network installation. He said, I just got out of the Air Force. That's what I did. So that's what I heavily considered. My brother was already in. Uh, he was a C-141 loadmaster. Oh, wow. And, uh, so I made my way down to the MEPS uh, station. and uh, Friendly MEPS station. Yeah, fr- friendly MEPS station. <laughs> I was lucky enough, took the ASVAB, and uh, I was lucky enough to score well enough to have him hand the book over to me to pick out anything. Wow. And, uh, nice. I said, well, <clears throat> this sounds pretty cool, like SATCOM. I want to be in SATCOM. I want to work in space. <laughs> So that, that's that's what I signed up for. But growing up as a as a young kid, um, I read a book by Bill Gates in 1991, I think. It was called The Road Ahead. And I was always fascinated by technology. And uh, I remember as a young kid um, just seeing in 1984 was the first time I ever saw a PC. And then in 1987, when I was in seventh grade, was when I started to learn how to code on a Mac. Uh, I think it was an Apple IIc, right? Just basic coding to make lights flash on a screen. Did you play Oregon Trail at the same time? Played Oregon Trail, certainly. <laughs> so very, very fascinated by that. Fascinated by electronics, home automation, yep. um, uh, home AV, all that kind of stuff. So that kind of uh, tended to shape the way I wanted to develop my career, and I thought this would be a, a great way to do it. And I was just fortunate enough that God put me in the perfect path mm. uh, to learn some great skills. So um, went to a pretty intensive uh, nine months of um, of uh, uh, tech school at Keesler Air Force Base. Got out and got stationed. Keesler Go, in, in uh, Mississippi, Bul- right? Biloxi. Bul- yeah, Bul- okay. Biloxi, Mississippi. <laughs> uh, that's home of the uh, Hurricane Hunters, the C-130s with uh, the big fuel tanks. So um, got out and was stationed at probably the the best Air Force base in the world, Eglin Air Force Base mm. down in the Panhandle of Florida, mm. near Destin. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so what was it, you know, to be able to score and be able to a – lot of, a lot of people come into the military, and they don't always get exactly what they want to do, right? We've all served with folks like that, rubbed elbows with folks like that. Some, some, it may be us, right? But to be able to go into exactly what you want to do, what, what caught your attention as a civilian, scoring high enough as on the ASVAB, which – for some of our listeners may not know, armed services, vocational, something battery. I can't remember what the aptitude. So basically, um, kind of, it's kind of like a military SAT. It kind of determines who, who's got skills and where. So that as the military is planning their manpower or their, their, their overall uh, workforce needs, they can figure out who has the skills and slot them into certain, certain slots and kind of 
plan their succession planning. So with you and the grades you got on the SFAB, you were able to, as you put it, go into whatever you wanted to. So to be able to pick what you wanted to do, that had to be pretty rewarding. It was. It was incredible. And I, I picked the, the exact right uh, career path for me. Mm-hmm. And then uh, really landed at a Goldilocks unit. I worked for the 728th Air Control Squadron. Go Demons! <laughs> the, the Demons are now decommissioned, but uh, they were a tactical air control squadron. Mm. We could take air control, meaning uh, multiple radar sites anywhere in the world, and have them set up within mm. seven days and actually control airspace uh, for our battle commanders back in the United States. And I uh, had some great opportunities. Worked for Space Command out in uh, Colorado at a, a leisurely uh, little TDY for six months uh, working four days a week and then spending a lot of time up in the mountains, but working for Space Command um, and then was downrange uh, down in Kuwait during Operation Southern Watch after the Gulf War, uh, the 33rd parallel, I believe it was, that we were controlling the airspace below that mm. and um, and then got out in 2000. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, really is. I, uh, you know, I met Tyler uh, a few years ago uh, through Vetlanta, and uh, and I I I don't want to put I, I don't want to sound maudlin or anything, but and I know he's going to disagree with me, but Tyler is really he's he's more than a survivor. He mm. is really he's a real hero in a lot of respects, and mm. everyone I know uh, looks up to him, and we all have a great respect for him. It's boundless, um, and it's really an honor to be with you here today. Mm. Thanks, Kevin. Thank I, you so uh, much. The, uh, he brings so much credibility to Vetlanta because all Vetlanta does is network with people and connect. So real quick, I think for folks listening and, and the handful, all three, that may not know what Vetlanta is, just so that there's, there's proper context, a club that yeah, was it's, formed. Um, uh, Lloyd, uh, uh, John, and uh, David Wattenmaker, who was a Coca-Cola exec, started probably seven or eight years ago. And it began at a, uh, at a in a coffee house, sitting at a table. Uh, they decided that they needed to do something else with the veteran space. Um, at the time, employment was really the crucial, uh, mm. crushing issue for a lot of people. Um, we we I say we because I I signed in like a month and a half later. I, Lloyd and I worked together at uh, UPS. He's still working, and I am thankfully retired. But. <laughs> Uh, we decided we had to fill some kind of a vacuum because there are so many silos with things between business, employment, education, housing, health care, and there's very little concerted coordination. Mm. So the intent was to create a club. We we don't have a tax status. We do not collect money. We have nothing to do with money. We are apolitical, and the idea is to uh, create a transitioning location for veterans. And mm. we really believe that Atlanta has so many advantages for transitioning veterans, whether it's business or education. Just the culture of, and quality of life here mm. has been enormous. Like you could tell by my voice, I'm not from mm. Atlanta. I ain't from the <laughs> south. Um, but the number of people that are from the northeast and from other areas in the country, uh, we're, we're very happy down here. We're very proud to be part of a, a burgeoning community. Mm. So... Atlanta's goal, and we we have a trademark, if you will, of of um, we hold four summits a year. We call them summits, and really giant networking sessions. Mm-hmm. And they have had between three and seven hundred people come to them, all veterans or friends of veterans, that are looking to 
get in the veteran space, either help people or their clients looking for uh, someone to network with. And we have a two-hour networking session. We have some breakout groups earlier in the day, usually involving legislation and business leaders. And then we culminate the summit, if you will, with a one to one and a half hour uh, agenda that usually has a keynote speaker. We've yep. had uh, we've had enormous success with that. We've had the uh, the governor has spoken to us. The we've had a Medal of Honor winner David Belavia recently mm-hmm. spoke to us, uh, and those are the two really high points that we've had. Of course, we've had a few generals sprinkled in here or there, sure. you know that. Uh, um, but they've all been wonderful, and it's been a great experience for us. So, mm-hmm. with with that, that's how I was introduced to Tyler. Yep. Uh, Tyler brings vetland a certain credibility because we have nothing to offer except we have a we have almost three thousand people on our on our um, email list that we don't share with anybody but what we do is when we have when tyler has a need whether it's veo or otherwise we broadcast it uh through the vetland voice which mm-hmm. is uh an email newsletter if you will yep. and that's how things get legs that's how we connect people and then we do personal mentoring on Gotta a get word out. scale Gotta yeah, get word that's, out. that's exactly what whether it is. electronically or or, yeah. or uh person to person or to your point there's it, not only do the challenges need more awareness but all the solutions and the resources and the, the servant leaders in the network that 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 come to the surface to help folks fight yeah. through some of the challenges yeah. that are out there well and the, the transitioning uh veteran is is frequently alone now we, it's very it's very popular now, and at the risk of being cynical, it's very popular right now for uh, someone to say they were a veteran, and then five people dive at them and say, "Thank you for your service." Mm-hmm. Well, that's great, mm-hmm. um, but there's more to it than just thanking somebody for their service. You should thank policemen and firemen and EMTs too. Anybody, teachers of, of all people, should be thanked on a regular basis. But there, the the veteran especially a transitioning veteran, is now isolated. Mm. They're out of their comfort zone. They're out of a place where people told them where to be, what to say, what to do, Structure. what to eat. When they, it's A lot of that's gone. Yep. Most veterans transition just fine. Things are always choppy for people, no matter who it is. But we're, we're keenly interested at the transitioning veteran. What's interesting about it is the three-year veteran uh, or the 30-year veteran, the different and disparate ways that they look at the transition a three-year veteran is looking at i can do anything Mm. and they probably can all right the 30-year veteran says i can do anything and they probably can't Mm. because they've already set in their ways with what they're doing what tyler has shown us he's shown us um, what what the real struggles are for people in the housing segment and the homeless segment and and that there is always going to be a need for addressing these folks. And, I, I, you know, Tyler, I, w- I want to ask you a question. I don't know if it's appropriate to do it now, but, I, you, know, you know, there's there's homeless veterans is a political touchstone, right? Everybody, everybody talks about it, and everyone suitably feels some level of anguish. And uh, why is this necessary? Um, is there really a solution here? Uh, or are we going to be resigned to the fact that there will always be homeless, there will always be poor, there will always be the indigent? Uh, is What kind of solutions are available through you and through VEO? We know that there there's a solution. We just have to build capacity. So we know that in uh, the state of Georgia, specifically in the city of Atlanta, uh, point-in-time count uh, went down last year. Now, I just want to put that out there that the point-in-time count is not empirical data meaning that it is not an absolute count. It's those folks that were able to be found that evening, whether they were being sheltered in a homeless shelter or they were actually found out on the street. 
So it takes efforts to go out and find those people. If the effort is not put forth to find those homeless veterans where they're at. But uh, needless to say, the point in time count did go down 16%. I think we're right around 370 homeless veterans in the city of Atlanta <clears throat> compared to 439 the, the year prior to that. There will always be a need. There will always be a veteran that is going through crisis. What we need, and the solution is simple, uh, we need a, a very strong coalition of government and private entities that are working for, forth to build capacity to immediately put a veteran that wants, as a key word, that wants to go into housing. There are many veterans that um, either their mental health or their substance abuse issues are so great and so grand that they have no desire to be housed. They, they have no desire uh, to be in a controlled setting. But it is our uh, desire in the city of Atlanta to provide enough capacity to house those that want housing immediately that day. So let's let's go backwards. Um, I think there is some really important context, uh, I think both personally and professionally, with what VEO does. And the, the, the reason that um, uh, we are talking, I mean, beyond the important issue that it is in terms of homeless veterans, is because of the great work VEO does. VEO does. But you've got a pretty unique uh, uh, personal journey. And, and, and maybe let's go backwards, and then I'll set the stage for what you're leading and what VEO is leading and, and why this work is so critical. Sure. So you just walked us through a minute ago um, as you got out of Keesler Air Force Base and to Eglin Air Force Base, the, the dream base to be based at, um, and then you were deployed, right? Uh, downrange, uh, I think Kuwait was the last, and, and it, but it didn't stop there. What what went on? Where did you go after Kuwait? Right. So uh, I got out in 2000. Everybody that's old enough to remember remembers the dot-com 1.0 implosion. Mm. So I had these great tech skills, got out. I lost three jobs in one year, got married, uh, went back to school, ended up getting a bachelor's, bachelor's degree. And uh, I found it extremely difficult uh, to integrate back in. So I was one of those folks in that I only served for four years, mm. got out. Thought I could do great. Found it very hard to reintegrate back into society. I had a team in the Air Force that wanted me to be the best continuously. And then I get out and get into corporate America, and people are stomping over me to get ahead. Mm. And um, so uh, found it very difficult. And then had some huge uh, personal crises. Uh, uh, the, the largest piece being that um, I had a daughter, Taylor Kate. And Taylor Kate was born with a genetic disorder called spinal muscular atrophy and uh, unfortunately was only given 18 months to live. She lived to be 16 and a half months old. And uh, it uh, led to uh, extreme depression, uh, exacerbated what I did not at the time acknowledge, but was my active alcoholism and caused divorce. And so there's all this pain and anguish that went on. And uh, I had a buddy, my Air Force issued brother, Chris Hayes. Uh, he was downrange in Afghanistan working as a contractor, and he said, well, why don't you come back and join the join the mission, Bowser? So that's what I did. Went back and joined the mission, got to grow bushy beard and wear uh, civilian clothes every day. <laughs> Still doing the same thing, though, uh, working SATCOM terminal uh, all throughout uh, Afghanistan and spent three and a half years there, uh, ex- experienced everything that war has to, to offer, and... Uh, said, you know, after my 47th Fallen Comrade ceremony, that was it. Uh, when I said, when I saw seven Humvees going down Jason W. Disney Drive 
at Bagram Air Base. I said, that's it, and uh, put in my two weeks and, and came home. Again, found it, this time, found it extremely hard to integrate back into normal society. I remember standing on a, a, a corner and watching an electric car go by with no sound, and I said, this is the strangest thing. I'd only been gone for three years, but this is the strangest thing for me to... And then uh, people's priorities were completely different. You know, I'd been isolated for three years. My priorities were completely different than coming back here. And what is important in our society on a daily given basis in a moment is completely different than what I had been used to. So I got a, a great job in the oil and gas industry working as a service manager. Price of oil and gas went down in 2015. So most junior uh, manager at the time. We lost a huge contract with Shell, and uh, I lost my job. So I uh, was battling uh, depression, PTSD, mm. um, bipolar disorder, and then raging alcoholism. And I did what any person with all those things would do. I got got in my car and went on a magic, uh, <laughs> an amazing bender that lasted about five months. Mm. Uh, landed here in Atlanta uh, and ended up living in my car. And uh, I got a little part-time job at a little coffee store, and uh, I had uh, one day on July 4th of 2016, a gentleman came into the, the coffee shop and said, uh, Mr. Bowser? I said, yes. He said, uh, we're here to take the car. And I thought somebody had left a car out in the parking lot. I said, oh, okay, well, go ahead and take it. They said, no, we're here to impound your car. Mm. Um, and I said, okay. And I knew at that point the gig was up. Uh, so he gave me two minutes to take anything I could. My my entire livelihood was in there. Mm. And uh, I just put my hands up, grabbed a, a backpack, grabbed some clothes out of there, and then uh, stayed the night at a friend's house and made my way down to Fort McPherson the very next day, July 5th of 2016. Mm. And so uh said the most humbling words I've ever said. My name's Tyler Bowser. I'm an Air Force veteran. I'm homeless, and I have I have no place to go. I said, all right. Mr. Bowser, we're going to take care of you. And then they proceeded to put me at a emergency shelter downtown, which is the Gateway Center, the old Atlanta City Jail. So if you can imagine uh, sleeping in a jail cell on a jail cell mat in a locked jail uh, on a pod every night, I said, this is not going to help me move forward. Mm. So every day I had a little bit of money in my pocket. I'd go up to the local store, grab some beers, go downtown, and I would sit in a park and just try and drown out my, my pain and misery. Well, the the final uh, spiritual awakening for me was sitting there and watching a family pushing a stroller down uh, the sidewalk, and I made eye contact with the mom, and she just veered right around me, and I said, "That's it, I can't, I can't go any lower." So I threw the rest of those beers away, and uh, God prepared a path for me the next day. Went back to Fort McPherson. I said, "I've got to have something different," and they said, "Okay, well, we'll try and put you over here at VEO." Luckily, there was a bed available. I arrived at VEO in the afternoon, was given a bed with just one other uh, guy uh, in, a, in an apartment setting, comfortable, clean, clean shower, clean bathroom, and then uh, services were wrapped around me. I had a licensed clinical social worker for mental health. I had a substance abuse recovery uh, program that I could go to every night, I was required to, um, and then I did two months of outpatient treatment at the VA. So the VEO, uh, as we talked about as we were introducing Tyler, the Veterans Empowerment Organization of Georgia, and, and before you make the assumptions, listeners or otherwise, 
that it's just one more federal agency or uh, state agency. This is very different. And I think it's really important for our audience to understand that, right? So in a nutshell, and we'll circle back to it, but as folks start to uh, process exactly all the great resources, the meaningful resources that helped you get back on that journey, um, what is VEO? So uh, VEO is a true street-to-home program for homeless veterans here in Atlanta. We have one campus. It's uh, over on the west side. Um, we are almost exclusively privately funded for our housing. Now, what that means is that VEO does not have to call the VA or abide by any VA, state, or local, or federal guidelines on who we can and cannot help and for how long we can help them the way that we help them. And and the main thrust, the main reason for that is, uh, as I've understood it from my, our interactions, right, is um, – homeless or other disadvantaged veterans they may not have all the documentation some folks may not even have their driver's license right and of course if you don't have all of that information it's very difficult to to tap into the services that you're um uh entitled to that's right and very purposefully veo said hey you know we want to help everyone including these folks that may not have the documentation is that right that's right so number one is is documentation probably about 20 to 30 percent of the veterans that come to our door do not have uh, any any ID, that's no big deal. We have a process to take care of that, get a, re- a release of information form, send it over to the VA. The VA verifies that that individual, yes, didn't serve, fa- uh, in fact serve. The second thing, though, Scott, which is probably even more important, mm. is um, the, the VA specifically cannot help all veterans. And that's by law. And so uh, we've taken away uh, that barrier. So any veteran that uh, served less than two years, any veteran that uh, got out uh, with a less than honorable discharge, any veteran that has any encumbrance in their background, almost any encumbrance, but most encumbrances in their background, um, we can help those veterans mm. get back to self-sufficiency. Our founder, Franz Fortune, truly believes that every veteran deserves a second and a third and a fourth chance, whatever it takes to get that veteran back on their road to self-sufficiency. VEO is, is willing and prepared to help that veteran mm. uh, get there. So now that we've kind of come back full circle, yeah. um, we've kind of back arrived at your question, Kevin, uh, the the, hom- the homelessness issue that despite what you may hear is not solved, veterans or otherwise, and the point of uh, the point in time uh, uh, camp uh, point in time count. survey or count, yeah. count mm-hmm. that uh, Tyler referenced. I know but, you've got – yeah, well, um, if I can, Scott, yeah, Scott and I were actually on the point in time count on the unsheltered group, and we were part of a group that was escorted by a uh, Atlanta police officer, and uh, we we spent the e- the night. It was ran from ten to three in the morning, uh, and uh, I mean, Scott was gracious to do it. He, he and one of the things that I really respect about Scott is that. His skin in the game is really by connection only. Mm. He's he he uh, is a great veteran supporter, and he doesn't just talk about it. He he walks the walk, which is uh, which is uh, you know bravo zoo, my it's friend. It's the Air Force veteran in me, right? <laughs> it's what we, right. Uh, what we yeah. but, you know, I gotta admit, my knees were knocking like Barney Fife on some. Of, that was a. I mean, it was it was it was entertaining in some respects. Um, thank goodness the police officer is there, it's a female, but she took no crap from anybody. Mm. And I guess that's one of that that segues into one of the questions that, yeah. that I have for Tyler is we are and I'm going to use general terms, Tyler, please correct me if I'm, I'm mm. off, but 
the estimates that we hear in popular news is that 70% of the homeless population, regardless of category, is uh, is uh, has a mental issue, has a substance abuse issue, and many of these people are um, chronic. They they almost can't be helped. Um, so the 30%, and, and again, this this sounds cold, it sounds callous, uh, but I'm removed from it. Uh, the 30% are the people that we can really help because they're transient in nature. They're only going to be homeless for a short period of time. Right. Does VEO focus on the 100% or the 30% or uh, is there a mix here? Yeah, we VEO truly focuses in on the 100% and it's, we don't give up. We want to make sure the veteran that has chronic homelessness has the mental health issue that they are able to get into the programs that the government has set up through SSVF and HUD-VASH. Um, you can, those are probably uh, take too much time to explain both of those, but they're government programs for permanent housing for veterans that, that have uh, challenges with housing. So we try to make sure that we, we can affect every veteran's life if they have the desire to change and get into housing. There are programs that we can help a veteran that uh, just, for instance, went through a divorce, has some issues, and we can click quickly get them into SSVF, which is Supportive Services for Veterans and Families. We can also help that veteran that's been living on the streets for a couple of years, help them to get uh, Social Security Disability or their VA um, uh, service-connected pension so that they can have some income and qualify for HUD-VASH. HUD-VASH is basically Section 8 housing but for veterans. So we have the opportunity and we have a plan to be able to get every veteran into permanent housing. However, we need to have more uh, affordable housing um, in the greater Atlanta area. As we talk about that, everybody knows that it's increasingly becoming explosively expensive to live in Atlanta. So if we have a veteran that comes to our campus and finds that $12 an hour job, that veteran, even even through SSVF, is not going to be able to find an apartment that is close enough to get to that job on a, in a timely manner using public public transportation. So as we grow in our program, our hope is to be able to expand by offering um, similar services to what we have on our campus for permanent supportive housing. That's in the realm of $500 to $600 a month for a veteran to be able to uh, effectively start start get a job maybe it's a lower wage job but still be able to live inside the city where all the services are currently located the um the you know, i guess one of the issues that i see is as on the outside looking in is that the va uh not to bash them is that they're very process driven uh, uh why doesn't everyone just go to veo first why do but, they even yeah. bother with the VA? That's a great That's a great, great question. And actually, you do need to go to the v, VA first. Uh, for 80% of the placements at VEO have to come from the VA. Okay. There is a coordinated point of entry there. So as you go, uh, as an individual goes down to the VA, they'll go to Fort McPherson to the CRRC, uh, report in as being homeless. Um, there they do an actual uh, coordinated point of entry with the city. So the city has in their database that uh, the VA has uh, this number of, of individuals that are reporting in as being homeless. Inter the interesting point about the point in time co count and the true count of homeless veterans is any given day you'll have 30 veterans going to 
Fort McPherson to report in saying that they're homeless. Okay, so if that if that's true, um, that's 150 individuals a week, and that's 750 individuals a year, right? At at the bare minimum that are just making their way down there, but the point in time count says that there's only 300. And, right. right, right. So we we know that the number is much greater, um, and that the needs all, always always there. Mm. Sure, especially well. I remember that night; it was frighteningly cold, yeah. and uh, a lot of people have they have connections to and friends and relatives that'll take them in for a night. Uh, I think we were exposed more uh, because these were the one of a better expression. These were the street people. Oh. Um, we had someone who was you know railing about God and also attempting to shoot us with a. Uh, a drill, mm. uh, you know, just a screwdriver, an electric screwdriver drill, by the way, that was not plugged into anything, who's, and the head was broken off. So he was harmless enough, and the police officer, you know, dispatched him correctly, you know, just talked him down, said, please put down your gun, you know, and that's what he thought he had. Put it down and walk mm. away and nothing will happen. And he did just what he was told. Uh, that, But that goes to uh, some of the experiences we have when we see these people. Now, we were in a very canned environment and uh, goodness knows i'm not going to be walking around downtown atlanta at two o'clock in the morning for any purposes but if if someone approaches any one of us on the street uh, what would you suggest so there's a couple suggestions number one it, from personal experience and from uh yeah from my most personal experience um anytime that i was given money when i was in the position where i was homeless it was utilized uh, for one thing, and that was to satiate my own addiction to alcohol. So I highly suggest not giving cash. Uh, number two is to know a, critical, a couple critical numbers. Uh, 211, which is the United Way call center. Um, if it is a veteran, uh, they can be given resources uh, by calling 211. And then ask them to go to the local VA uh, hospital, and they can be transported down to Fort McPherson to the CRRC, which is the coordinated point of entry for homelessness. But uh, I, I can't implore people enough not to give a homeless individual uh, cash. Mm. It, it, it leads to nothing other than being wasted on their addiction and, and further uh, hurting that, that individual. Yeah. Uh, so that what that evening was a, um, I've been around a variety of charitable and community service initiatives, and we've seen a variety of folks in need at various stages, including families, which is heartbreaking. What stood out to me that evening as we worked that graveyard shift, and I think we went out at what, 10 or 11, whatever yeah. time it was, yeah. and it was two thirty, three o'clock before we wrapped up, is um, you know what gets lost in the shuffle, and, and you kind of were, were speaking to it, is folks that they have mental illness. Um, they get stuck in ruts and that they want to stay right there, right? Like all of us humans do, right? We get into something that's comfortable, even if it's not acceptable, even if folks like us want to make it not acceptable and, and help them. It's folks that get stuck right what they do day in and day out. Um, the, the scenario with the, the gentleman there, um, whether it was it was mental illness or whether it was uh, some sort of drug-induced, I mean, there was clearly there are other, so many issues. And even though we had someone from, I want to say uh, the United Way. This, yeah, somebody from social services right, was there. Yes. To, uh, to, as a reference point. That's right. Um, but, you know, it's no matter how many processes we have, again, my opinion, no matter yeah. how many processes we have, 
you can't solve everything. Yeah. And certainly not on the spot unless they get into the system. And that's really the beauty of VEO. Uh, we all have... We all have noble hearts, and I'd like to think that we'd want to take care of uh, the lesser of our brethren who are struggling. But we also have to be cognizant of uh, some issues that, that we can't see. Right. We simply right. can't see. There was, there was one fellow who says, oh, I've been on the street for 10 years, and he was perfectly lucid. And uh, we asked him why, and he said, well, there's a hit out on me from the Gambino family. Now, you know, we know that was nonsense, but he believed it. Mm. So he said, I can't mm. talk to you much anymore. Mm. And he had to go. Mm. And off he went into the night. Yeah. He wouldn't do our survey. We had another. We took a survey with another homeless person who was very affable and outgoing. And, you know, he talked about some crazy stuff. Uh, one of the sad things, and, you know, I, I struggle with things that are too process-driven, was we had a 10-page verbal audit we had to do with these people. Right. And they were asking questions, do you speak any foreign languages? You know, it just... So we culled it down to about five or six because we're going to lose our attention span in about five minutes. Mm-hmm. A person answered all the questions. I mean, we just peppered him with 20 minutes mm-hmm. worth of questions. And the, the hook was we're going to give you a $5 uh, fast food card, McDonald's card. Um, uh, and he took it and he threw it at us. He goes, I don't even want to talk to you people anymore. Mm-hmm. And he just walked away. So even even uh, challenging. the best the best of intentions are, are are difficult. I think what what VEO and what Tyler's group does is uh, they they they're connected now. That they're you you have skin in the game. It's easy for those of us Scott and I to do a one off, which is what the PIT count, even though it's outdoors and it was educational for us. But that's not we don't have any skin in the game after that. You know, besides paying taxes and, you know, being decent people. Yeah. Uh, Tyler has skin in the game mm. and what he does. And that's that's the thing that's that's the heroic part of all of this. I, 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 another question I have, um, is there a really enough, um, Tyler, of being done before the vet becomes homeless? Uh, there's, there's a crisis and there's a catalyst. We know your story. We've seen your story. We, we understand that that happens. That happens all the time to good people. Um, you know, alcoholism is a disease. We understand that. But what is being done before that person gets into a crisis? And I think that isolation, um, how, is that, how is that ameliorated or prevented or mitigated? How, how, what should be done? Well, I, I think there are resources that are out there, specifically through the VA. Uh, the, the crisis line uh, is available for veterans that are that are experiencing a crisis. But to mitigate it, I don't know if there is. Uh, we as veterans tend to be very self-reliant. That's one of the, the challenges and probably maybe a question that you have. Mm. Why is it that veterans are twice as likely to become homeless as non-veterans, and I really think it it all evolves around our self-reliance. Um, a lot of it has to do with our our not ego, but our our pride that we're prideful people. We we served our country. Uh, why should we have to go ask, or why would we even want to go ask somebody for help at this point in our in our in the game? So I think that has a lot to do with it. But everything is so individual. We, we try and, uh, as, as we study things, we try and say, well, how can we create a program or what other service is going to need to be um, created to 
prevent X, Y, and Z, but everything is so individualized. Mm-hmm. We don't really deal with uh, the, the, the types of homeless individuals that you were encountering, Kevin. They might be 20%, but we're getting high-functioning folks that have real mental health issues and substance abuse issues, but are still able to uh, be treated for those and get back into workforce development and uh, reestablish their life. So that's what we really try and focus in on, how we can affect after that has happened. And it's all about building capacity again. We've got to build enough capacity. Even um, if we get to the point where we're trying to affect change before someone becomes homeless, there's still going to need to be capacity for somebody to go into something like basically like a halfway house or a landing spot so that they don't become homeless. Mm-hmm. We want to prevent overnight homeless out on the streets. Um, that, that, that's really truly the goal. The, uh, the, uh, if you can, um, can, can you give us some metrics on VEO here locally? I mean, how many beds do you have? How sure. many people? How many? Uh, what's your input? What's your output? Do, do you measure success? Do you measure failure? What, tell us about your metrics. Sure. Right now, so we have 40 transitional uh, beds, which is true street to home. Somebody, if we had a bed, a bed available, a veteran comes to us, we immediately put them into that bed. That's a 90 to 120-day program. So our real goal is to, to get that veteran uh, back into permanent housing uh, within 90 to 120 days. Sometimes it takes longer for that veteran that has no ID and is coming off the street. It could take up to six months just to get their ID if you were... Uh, fortunate enough to be born in California, it's uh, up to six months to get your birth certificate. Wow. So uh, that's uh, 40 beds. And then we have something called supportive permanent housing, which is on our campus. Um, This is for folks that have income. They pay a program fee. It's similar to rent. It's all inclusive. It includes three meals a day. All the services that you'd get on our main campus, uh, the substance abuse recovery program, access to our mental health program. Um, uh, And then that has kind of fostered an an amazing community of veterans that uh, really uh, are family. A lot of veterans that come have no more family. So our community really is that. Across the street, we've uh, begun to purchase some townhomes with the help of uh, Home Depot, one of our partners. Uh, We currently have five townhomes getting ready to purchase four more, and those are for families that are going through the same type of challenge, but as a family unit. And again, uh, this is a transitional housing for families, but it's based off of a year-long program because the stabilization effort is much greater for a family because the dynamics are so much larger. And then we also have uh, a huge need in Atlanta uh, to uh, increase the capacity for females, single females uh, with no children. And so right now we have one townhouse, and that is our females' dorm. Uh, But we could bring that up to four townhouses uh, and serve 20, and that still wouldn't be enough. Mm -hmm. So I I, I think, um, again, this is just my opinion, uh, but the the all-volunteer force, uh, has required uh, and put great strains on recruiting, uh, especially now because I think we found and we we've all experienced it. Most people that decide to join the military, it's a generational thing. Uh, they don't just wake up one day with no one in their family that's ever served. We we have literally the same families serving generation after generation, uh, and what happens there? There's I think the strain and the pressure to perform is huge. Uh, 
incumbent upon that, especially with recruiting, is now certain standards for recruiting. Uh, when, when I was in, which is 40 years ago, uh, and I was never downrange. When I, when I was in, um, you really basically couldn't go in if you were married. Mm. Right? They said if you were going to get a wife and children, we'll issue you one. <laughs> uh, but now there are so many more families involved. And I think you know what you bring up about the families uh, um, – uh, so th- what are some of the special issues with families? And wh- what, is, what does VEO do? What, do? what do they enhance that's better than the VA, particularly to families? And even with, with women that have, uh, especially with MST, they have very uh, particular issues that have to be addressed that are not easy to discuss in a public forum. Right. Well, uh, again, with uh, the family... The- it is so diverse, Kevin. We've we've had everything from a traditional family that has been married for a couple of years, and they have uh, the the uh, mother and father traditional marriage. Three three children fallen on hard times, just need a place to stabilize, get some training, get back into the workforce, uh, get their ch- their children into uh, health or child care. Up to uh, a mother that had two sets of triplets. That after the second set of triplets was born, was uh, the the father abandoned them, and now you have a mother living with six children in a car, so a really diverse range. But I'll, I'll wow. talk about one case just recently. Um, we had a family uh, that had been had some income, but not enough income uh, to maintain a household, and had been going from hotel to hotel to hotel. So uh, mother and father, two chi- two children, the amount of stress that is generated by taking your children and trying to provide what the the one little boy was nine years old and hadn't been in school for six months. Um, The amount of stress that had been generated over this nomadic lifestyle of going and trying to get help from uh, program to program, the program. Finally, when they arrived at VEO, that was a day that they had just said, Nope, we're we're not going to stay together anymore. Luckily, Luckily, we had some great intervention and some great services wrap around both the mother and the father to say, let's let's do a cooling off period of 24 hours. They've come back and we've just circled them with all the services that we possibly can. So we just need to be able to give a family a place to start, to have a uh, a mailing address, to be able to send their kids to school or to go to child care and be able to stabilize so we can render the services that they're going to need. They're going to need all the same things that our our men and women are going to need in our traditional programs. They're going to need uh, mental health services, substance abuse, and then they're going to need additional. They're going to need family uh, uh, counseling, and they're going to need child care, and they're going to need to be put in school and all of the uh, additional supplies and clothing that goes along with that. So, uh, it gets way more involved and way more intense. Exponential. Yeah. yeah. Hey, um, you touched on this before on your own story. How important is faith as part of what everyone's journey uh, could be or should be yeah. with with everything that your services do now? Well, I can only really uh, I can only really share my own, but I can tell you, and Scott knows this, and I and I've shared this with you before, Kevin. The only reason, listen. The only reason that I have gotten to where I am today is through God's grace and Jesus Christ. I'm, I unabashedly say that because there's no statistician, there's no person, uh, no uh, physical theorist that could ever come up with an equation of that I worked hard enough or that I was on a lucky enough streak to get where I am today. 
from where I was three and a half years ago. Faith, at, at, at least faith in something uh, has to be a piece of it. And um, I see people's lives change on the campus sharing about my faith of how I went through it. And real quickly, I'll just share with you uh, young man. He's a Marine, uh, served our country honorably in uh, Vietnam. He's an atheist. And uh, he, he came to me, how do you stay happy? I'm just so mad at the world all the time. And I, I shared with him my story. And so we happen to have a, a group of ladies in their 60s and 70s that come down on a consistent basis to bring food. And he was working in the kitchen that one day. And at the end of that night, he looked over at one of the ladies and he said, ladies, I think you might have just changed my uh, aptitude towards learning about God and what, what his plan is for me. And I thought that was amazing. But you have to have faith that something is going to happen, that there's a greater good that's going to allow you to get to the next level uh, in life. Um, I certainly couldn't do it through my own will because my own will led to me to where I was, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's where I'm mm-hmm. at today. I, um, um, yeah, I'm getting choked up listening no. to it. Mm-hmm. So I want to I want to shift gears real quick. Where do... Uh, a lot of the listeners want to help, and it's not just an issue of flopping open a checkbook, although money always counts. Can, a, can an individual or even a small group of people in a business, can they help VEO? or the, where, What can they do and where can they do, go to give of their time and talent, if not necessarily treasure? Sure. So the, there's a couple of different ways. Uh, number one is uh, we've got a great program called Serve a Hero. You can come down, you bring a prepared meal. Right now we're in the midst of building a brand new building. It's going to have a uh, commercial kitchen and a huge dining hall. We're currently out in an Alaska tent out on our basketball court, and we have limited cooking capability. So we've engaged our community to come out and, and bring a meal and share a meal with our veterans. Um, that you can sign up on our website. That's a feohero.org. Go to Serve a Hero. Um, the second thing that you can do is um, come down, do a tour. Let me share the VEO experience with you. Um, and then if you're a business and you're looking to make an impact, the first thing that we ask of our of our organizations that really want to get involved is do something simple to engage your ecosystem to affect change on our campus. And they're real simple things like doing an in-kind drive for uh, it could be anything from toiletries to paper supplies to cleaning supplies, things that we don't have to take donated dollars to go out and purchase. Last year, Scott and Kevin, we spent zero dollars on, on any of that. We, we had uh, enough folks in the community to bring those items down to our campus that we didn't have to go buy those things. Uh, the second thing is become an ambassador, an ambassador for VEO. Come learn about VEO and then go out in your community, talk to your faith-based organizations, your civic groups, See how they can get involved if they either want to do that through in-kind drives or they want to come down and as a large group come down and do a service project on our campus. If you come down to our campus, uh, your uh, vision will be completely changed about what a homeless program looks like. Um, We're on about two and a half acres, meticulously uh, groomed grounds. Mm Um, beautifully built out campus. A, a lot of our partners, uh, specifically Home Depot, have groomed our, our campus and built beautiful structures. And then finally, the third thing, and I wouldn't be the director of external relationships without saying, uh, we do need those those uh, dollars donated to VEO. And um, we uh, are happy to say that this year, 
uh, 90% of the dollars that came into VEO were private dollars. Uh, 10% came from the government side. We are affecting wow. change through a beautiful, yeah. uh, compassionate, conservative model, utilizing private dollars to affect the challenge. Remember this, Kevin, Scott, we, we did not go and serve for the VA or for the city of Atlanta or for Fulton County, right? right. right. We want to go serve for our community. We truly believe that this is a community challenge. It's not a problem. It's a challenge that can be overcome through the community coming together. And I just want to give a couple shameless plugs. We have folks like uh, Arthur Blank, uh, like Dan Cathy, that are, are stepping up uh, alongside Kathleen and Gary Rollins. These are huge, huge industry makers and shakers here in Atlanta. And we really want to prove that, hey, there's enough philanthropic dollars to uh, go ahead and check this off the check mark, uh, off the box and say, we've um, eliminated that challenge in Atlanta through private dollars. Mm. And it's happening. Uh, we are developing a, a brand new um, branding story that will be released at our gala, which will be on February 22nd uh, down at the aquarium. And um, so we'll be uh, releasing our hero story. And the hero story is not just about the veteran being the hero, but the heroes that are serving them at VEO as uh, all the employees. And then important, more importantly, is the heroes that are affecting change out in the community by supporting us by volunteerism, in-kind drives, and giving of their time, talent, and treasure. Mm, mm. VEO hero.org that's right you can find a variety of different things and different ways we can support what uh, the veterans empowerment organization of georgia is doing um the gala coming up february 22nd been there for a great first class event uh, a great sense of camaraderie and kindred spirits at that event um and it's, it's terrific hearing hearing you mention and, and we've watched it right we we've not only have we been on site for various things but just kind of watching the community kind of uncover what the mission is, uncover just how straightforward and practical it is and how, uh, you know, you are moving the needle. I'm a, I'm a big fan of process, but to your point, Kevin, a lot of times when you, when you, you're, it's the best of intentions, right. To put all this process around, but sometimes pit folks get lost in the shuffle. Yep. And, uh, I love how straightforward it is in, in terms of the mission and how it's moving the needle. So, um, how else, any, how, how can folks reach out to you? Are you LinkedIn? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, check me out. Tyler Bowser, uh, at LinkedIn. You can also check me out on uh, Facebook, tyler.james.mobile on the, the uh, Facebook. Right. Or as my mom likes to say, the, uh, she she calls it my book or face space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the face space. All right. Well, you know, every, every conversation we have, um, it feels like it's never long enough to tackle everything we'd like to tackle. Right. But I like this, um, you know, the last 40 or 50 minutes we've spent here. I think there's so much, not only can folks support, but there's so much, um, there's so much that y'all have done as an organization that folks can benchmark in other markets. And hopefully, you know, hopefully we'll encourage those folks to reach out and connect and pick y'all's brain to figure out how they can solve, you know, old and new challenges. So uh, I really appreciate everything you're doing. Um, so let's shift gears. All right. Uh, we've been talking with Tyler Bowser with uh, VEO. Um, of course, and all the show notes will include uh, some very easy and helpful links there to, to get you plugged in with what VEO is doing. 
But, you know, we we wouldn't be here, uh, you know, without Vetlana. That's right. I would not have met Tyler. I wouldn't have met Kevin. And, you know, we wouldn't have all those opportunities of giving back and, and really you know, networking with our fellow uh, veteran community and helping as we as best we can. So, Kevin, Vetlana is not sitting on its uh, deeds, is it? Uh, no. And I um... – Laurel, I, I appreciate. Laurel, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sitting right now, but the uh, I, I did I do want to mention a couple things. Sure, it's, I the the whole the connectivity that you just talked about and what what Atlanta itself doesn't bring. We're the sum of a lot of parts, and I, I have learned so much today. Mm. And I've known Tyler for years, and um, I've known you for years, mm. and we've spent a lot of time gabbing, sometimes just telling jokes and. and I do whatever you tell me to that do. Kind of, yeah. of, that's that's where we spend the, our time. Uh, well, you know, and sometimes we're just doing like like most vets, we just you know do, you know punch in the arm type that's of right. thing. Right. But the the really it's it's the focus that I learned that Tyler has in this particular space because I've I, I've dealt with a lot of people. Tyler's uh, he lives this every day. I I just attend meetings, but. Uh, Tyler's focus and the advice and the suggestions he gave us today, and I, I took notes, and I hope mm. our listeners are at least mm. taking mental notes on a couple things. It's just that's what we need. We need that laser focus. And I, I can't tell Tyler how much I do appreciate you Thanks, and everything you've done with this. It's uh, All right, so let, let, me, let, me, uh, let me do the shameless part now and just talk about some things we got sure. going on at Vetlana. Um, again, we don't we we just do summits, but I have a couple of events here, and I'm going to uh, uh, talk the praises of a group KPMG. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an international audit and uh, transformational type team, and they they probably do audits for half the companies in Atlanta now. They're 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 throughout the world. They are super supporters of Atlanta and veteran space right now. Now. So here's your here's where you need pencils. This Thursday, they're conducting a, a veteran New Year reception, if you will, which means beer, which means so Scott will be there. <laughs> but um, so it's this Thursday, January twenty third, from six thirty to eight thirty p.m. at the Marietta Country Club, and we want you to bring your plus one. We already ha- we have two hundred plus people signed up for it already. Um, they would they would like to have 300 there. They would love to have 500 people there. Uh, I've never been to the Marietta Country Club. They would only let me in if I was carrying a cheese plate, so I might as well go and check this place out. Um, so please, you're invited. Uh, you can look at um, uh, vetlanta.org is our uh, website. There's a sign-in for that there. Uh, they, that's just for headcount purposes. It is free to anyone. So... Uh, veterans or friends of veterans, bring your plus one, and we'll see you Thursday night at the Veteran New Year reception hosted by KPMG from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at the Marietta Country Club. So that's number one. Number two, again, uh, K- uh, KPMG, rising to the occasion. And I have no affinity towards them besides uh, they just have great people there that mm. support us. Um, we're doing a Vetlanta Talks, which is kind of a TED Talks, if you will, for veterans. Um, they're hosting and producing the next segment. It's scheduled for the day before the gala, uh, February 21st. We're going to have six veterans uh, do six- to seven-minute talks. I'm one of them, actually. Hmm. It's kind of like a TED Talks, and it's hosted by KPMG. It will be live-streamed uh, during the noon hour, so it doesn't, uh, you know, if people can do it while eating a sandwich. They can listen to it and watch it. Um, and that is, uh, we expect great things for that. We're going to do that two or three times a year going forward. 
and we also see there's an opportunity for uh, a national TED Talks with veterans going forward. So um, I, I think there's great opportunity there. Tyler's going to be a guest going into the future, and we're going to try to con Scott into doing that also. <laughs> um, and, and last, I wanted to mention our uh, next summit, which is the first quarter 2020 summit. It is scheduled for March the 3rd. It's a Tuesday evening. The host is Fiserv at their corporate headquarters in Alpharetta. Um, we have two great speakers going to be at it. Um, uh, Mike Abrams, who's the founder of Four Block, will be speaking. And also Dr. Mike Haney of Syracuse University will be speaking. The theme is entrepreneurship. Mm. So it's, uh, uh, it's a fastball for you, Scott. Mm. It's, it's, it's going to be one of those, one of our events. We have to, we're going to cap it at 300. So it's very important that mm. people register as soon as we put the registration up. It's only uh, about 40, 44 days away from yeah. now. It's, not, it's coming right around the corner. Um, it's hard to believe it's almost the end of January. But, so we are, the Fiserv corporate campus is gorgeous. It's really interesting. We are, we're going to have uh, we're only going to have about twenty three, twenty four vendor tables there. So uh, it's going to be an intimate gathering. Uh, it's uh, cafe style seating instead of stadium seating, mm. which we've done in the past. The speakers are all lined up, uh, so we're looking for people to uh, attend that first quarter summit. So thank you. That's it. Outstanding. Vetlanta.org. You can learn more about any of these uh, these events. Uh, we probably won't publish in time for the January 23rd uh, event at KPMG, but I was there last year, and it's it's really neat to see. I appreciate kind of how you positioned it. Any organization that steps up and yeah. uh, you know deeds, not words, to support you know what Vet is trying to do and support the vet, veteran community, they they certainly deserve some visibility and and a out of boy and and a high five, right? Absolutely. Um, okay, so. Is there an email? I'm trying to think if there was a, um, a, like a help at vetlanta.org. Is there a, a kind of a generic catch-all email that folks, if they have a question Ooh. or two? Well, we're on, we're on LinkedIn. We're all over LinkedIn. Okay. So if you, if you just uh, searched Vetlanta on LinkedIn, uh, Krista De Krieger is our mm-hmm. communications PR person, and yep. she works like a donkey. I'm telling you, she's just trying to keep the word out there. But if you look on LinkedIn for uh, Vetlanta, you'll see – the links to just about everything that we have, um, and some of it uh, has our laser focus, uh, you know, yep. supporting people like VEO and Tyler, and some of it is just very general in nature. But we're always looking for people to get involved. The same half dozen people have been doing all the uh, uh, yeah, well admin work. Mm. It's not because it's not a heavy lift. It's mm. really a pleasure. Uh, <laughs> but so the the uh, a lot of the admin work we can always use some help with That's that. Right. In fact, um, I'm interviewing a couple guys tomorrow. They're going to help out with our membership drive and and help out with uh, uh, some general. Um, shall we say, technological mm. challenges that we have. We actually do call them problems. So mm. We have all kinds of technological problems, so we need help with that. So anybody that's listening that's interested in assisting, offering an hour or two a month, that's it. Yep. Uh, we'd be more than happy to uh, bring you aboard. Vetlanta.org, V-E-T-L-A-N-T-A.org. Good stuff. We want to thank uh, first our featured guest here today, Tyler Bowser, Director of External Partnerships at Veterans Empowerment Organization of Georgia, VEO. Check them out at veohero.org. Tyler, appreciate you carving time out. Great to see you once again. It's been great. Thanks for having me back. But i got to have one more uh, shameless plug. Sure. My kids, Mm. (laughs) Annalie and Wesley. 
Got to. Awesome. I, t- I told them I dropped their name. <laughs> 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 we're gonna we're gonna have to sit, we'll send them a, a nice little note with uh, the soundbite and maybe even a, a video here. Great to have you back. Great to be here, man. Thank you so much. Um, and Kevin Horgan, Vetlana Operations Manager, uh, longtime uh, active servant of the veteran veteran community, also a Marine. And uh, <laughs> was a long time ago. Yeah. Well, you know what? It, it, but it, what's most important is what we're doing now, right? Yes, right. absolutely. So great to see you again, Kevin. And again, to our Thank audience, you. thanks for joining us here on this kind of reposition. So, um, you know, for the for six or seven episodes of 2019, this was known as the Vetlanta Voice Podcast. We're repositioning because, um, honestly, we didn't want this content and these ideas and these these stories and these benchmarking opportunities to stay here in the echo chamber that can be Atlanta, we want to shout it from the mountaintops so, uh, and reach more folks. So now this is the newly coined Veterans Voice podcast series that's, that's powered by uh, the great folks over at Vetlanta and, of course, the Supply Chain Now team. So be sure, in the meantime, be sure to check out other upcoming events, replays of our interviews, other resources at supplychainnowradio.com. We'll be building a landing page for all these episodes, of, and you can also find back uh, the back episodes at vetlana.org as well. One more reason to check out the Vetlana website. Um, find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, all the other leading sites where podcasts can be found. Be sure to subscribe. So don't miss anything on behalf of the entire team here. Scott Luton wishing you a wonderful week ahead, and we will see you next time on the Veterans Voice podcast series powered by Vetlana and Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>